Here we are. RTT 57. Heinz 57. <laughs> 57 varieties of RTTs. Uh, here we are. Here they are. Um, and uh, we are into a new episode of Rogue Table Talks in a new setting. Yeah, new something. New, lo- new locale. We've been, it's hard to say, you know, fully remote. We've been doing remote, remote. Uh, right. But geographically remote. Right. Right. You are in uh, South Carolina, Columbia, Columbia area, right? Yeah. Columbia and a town called Lexington. Uh, hard to believe it was last Thursday when we packed up our yeah. van and Beverly Hillbillies trailer. Mm-hmm. Equipped with, uh, let's see, what all do we have on it? We had bicycles and we had uh, a weed eater and a blower and a step stool. <laughs> you had a lot of stuff. No question. You got I, your money's worth out of whatever that was. I don't yeah. think we lost anything. I really don't. You know, you see yeah. stuff on the highway flying off a trailer. I think mm-hmm. we I think it all stayed mm-hmm. on. That's the good news. Yeah. So, yes, you, the Myers family, has moved, uh, but you're not yet uh, in your place of abode, you're in a temporary way station, a That's temporary. Right. Yeah. We're feeling, so if you see the screen behind me or screen with stuff behind, we're feeling a little displaced. We're grateful to have a place to stay and it is free. So that's double grateful, but it, um, someone just moved out of the church parsonage. So they, uh, we just, you don't have a lot of furniture to sit on, uh, and, or, or any, <laughs> there's not really any, mm-hmm. Uh, or lo- like washer dryer type stuff. So uh, tonight we got to make a trip to the laundromat. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, so awesome. Got to get our quarters. Yes. Yes. So yeah, we're not we're not where we are going to be yet. Mm, isn't that true for all of us, Chadrick? We are not where we're going to be. I feel like there's something, uh, yeah, spiritual in there. So. Come on. Uh, yeah, and so we are going to be talking about, um, well, that things are not as they are going to be, uh, that we are not as we are going to be, uh, that things are not, uh, that society, that our nation, our our city is not as it is going to be, or, or uh, we hope it will be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's kind of the idea we're going to be bouncing around. Um, and I think this sense of wrestling with... Uh, you know, what it means to be an image bearer, uh, an imperfect image bearer in a world of imperfect uh, image bearers. Um, and you've, I mean, you've, I'm sure you've heard this before. You've probably used it before. Uh, but you think of a, a, a ruin, like an old, like a castle mm-hmm. or the Parthenon uh, or some place that, uh, that, uh, you know, tourists go or whatever, and it's a you know, it's it it's a beautiful thing, but it's a beautiful ruin, uh, and you don't get the original beauty. It's a sense of sort of this, you know, this majestic, this faded glory, this majestic ruin. Uh, that's this idea of beauty and ruin sort of coexisting, uh, and that sort of plays out for us that we are majestic ruins. Now, there's a beauty to us, but it's not the beauty 
uh, that uh, we were meant to have, that we were destined to have. Uh, it's the beauty we have now. It's true, but it's incomplete. It's marred. It's it's whatever. Um, and uh, I think that's a very uh, hard um, concept for us to hold or a hard idea for us to to hold on to. Um, do you think so? That, you know, the, this kind of correct conception of being an image bearer, is that uh, kind of easy for us to lose sight of, hard for us to hold on to? Yeah. Um, you reminded me of uh, when I was 20, I went with a small missions organization to Rome. And one of the things we did was kind of toward the city. And we saw obviously a lot of historical ruins there and the Colosseum. And so you have, it's kind of a picture within a picture. You have this beautiful uh, ruin, but it is a ruin. But then you have the happenings of history within that, which it's a, a beautiful piece of architecture. And yet it was uh, often used for destructive and mm. vile purposes, right? Mm -hmm. so you have kind of a picture within the picture there of, I do think that using the analogy of a glorious ruin uh, uh, for humanity is uh, accurate because it seems to balance the glory that we feel ourselves capable of and that we see in other people um, and maybe don't have words to describe it. Mm -hmm. And also the shame and the horror of our own capacity to uh, make a mess and others as well. So I, mm -hmm. that's accurate. I do think it's difficult to balance. I don't know. How do you think we fall off the uh, apple cart, so to speak? Well, probably in a lot of different ways. And I think we probably can do, depending on how we're wired, uh, can downplay the glorious part of us or downplay the ruined part of us. Uh, at different times. Um, so I think that's part of it. I, I do think our culture pushes us towards we're the good people, they're the bad people, mm -hmm. whatever that is. Uh, and so whether that's my, my tribe, my church, my belief system, my political uh, affiliation, that we are the good people, we are defined partly because we're not those bad people. And so whatever those bad people are doing or saying, we're automatically against. And whatever our tribe is doing or saying, we're automatically for. Even if we shake our heads and go, huh, I'm not quite sure about that. But they're one of us, so they must be good. We're good. They're bad. Uh, and I just think that's so easy to do and so natural for us to do. Uh, and I think our culture, our, you know, the whole um, discussion, uh, the whole, you know, media, journalistic, uh, social media, political kind of conversation we have, there's typically two camps and one is bad and one is good. And you sort of pick your source of information based on, you know, whether they think I'm in the good or I'm in the bad. And I think that's why people get so, so angry about, you know, which news channel or which whatever is because, they're calling me the bad people and they're the bad people. I'm not the bad people. They're the bad people. Uh, and I think everything just so easily falls into that where I think that runs completely against what we just said, that 
Hmm. No, what they are is a glorious ruin. And what I am is a glorious ruin. Uh, and the image of God is marred in me and it's marred in them. And there are no good people or bad people in any sort of theological sense that makes any sense at all that we are people that are image bearers. And sometimes we do good things and sometimes we do bad things. And some of us are on a journey of redemption and some of us are running away from a journey of redemption, but uh, no one can be uh, automatically dismissed and demonized and no one can be automatically divinized or, you know, unquestionably followed, but that's what we want to do. What do you think of that? Yeah, I think that's true. That's interesting. You, uh, you remember the class that we took together on Tolkien and uh, you remember Jarambar saying, you know, how there's, there's the different races. Um, there's the dwarfs, there's the elves, there's the men, and then there's orcs. And that may not have covered them all, but he talked about humanity that like even the evil men that go follow Sauron weren't, orcs they weren't demons and so they weren't wholly lost they weren't right. wholly no one is fully only evil and no one is fully only good so i i, I do think that's hmm. so even saruman who oh yeah went real bad yep. he you know uh wasn't it um frodo held, held out hope for him and yeah you know said don't destroy him he was he was a great wizard once or something like that that's not exactly what it was but um that sense of yeah he's not simply a bad person to be defeated even him who has caused us so much harm yeah exactly i think it's just so tempting to categorize um ourselves and others and you know you and i have talked about masks on here for the covid and people going into stores and being responsible and things like that it's almost that, but, but humanity, especially right now in our culture, I think we're so tempted to look for the next thing to categorize. You wear masks or you don't wear masks or you, uh, you protest or you don't protest or you do this. And every, both sides do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're in the right because we are showing this mm-hmm. and you're in the wrong. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just so tempting to categorize. I don't know if it gives people, I guess I would question like, what is that? Like, why, why do people feel the need to quickly make judgments about the self and the others? And does it give some type of stabilization in where people feel um, that there is no anchor that they're like, have you, you, as you said before, there's no, we've lost the meta. Right. Narrative. I think that's a big part. I mean, to me, that explains a lot of it, that we kind of have lost the meta narrative, And with that, we kind of lose a sense of who we are, why we're here, where we're going, what we're for. And all of that, you know, potentially unites us uh, in, in a way around, you know, loosely at least. And with that gone, we're grasping for some other tribe or identity or purpose or meaning uh, and we seem to find them, you know, we, we will find them, I guess. I guess we will find them different various places. We can't live without them if we're image bearers uh, because we're, we're made for them. So we're going to find them in different places. And I do think it's the sense of whether or not, as we've said, you wear a mask becomes 
an identity. It's a much bigger question than, you know, because people can disagree about whether masks are, you know, effective or not, or, you know, all the different, um, you know, viewpoints on the spread of the disease and so on. But it becomes, it's not even about that. It's about an identity question. It's a, it's a good people, bad people breakdown. And there are people on both sides that look at the other side and said, say, those are the bad people and we're the good people. And I, I just feel like it's not the, it's not the mask. It's just something we, we're going to keep, we're going to keep doing. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and it divides us. And I do think this biblical conception that we're all image bearers and every single one of us, uh, whether we're, uh, you know, we're people of faith or, you know, part of God's family, we, we still bear the image. We still are united around that. We still can be glorious uh, as well as ruined. Um, and I think with that, I kind of want to jump in. There's a passage in First Thessalonians 2 um, where... Uh, Paul is writing to these, with this church there, and uh, about just just his his desire to see them. Uh, and what he says is, uh, starting at verse 17 of 1 Thessalonians 2, But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Uh, it's like, man, he really likes these people, you know? <laughs> um, you know, when I was orphaned by, my, by being separated from you for a short time in person and in thought intense longing, every effort to see you. Uh, and, you know, we really, really, really wanted to see you because what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. And I think that's an interesting question because for me, I'm not an apostle, right? I don't, uh, I'm not related to a group of people in the same exact sense. Paul was, but uh, I believe we can all apply this passage to our own lives in some way. And so um, what is that? Who is that for me? You know, is it not you? The hope, joy, crown in which we will glory. Is it not you? So who are the you maybe? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Um, who is my glory and joy, I guess, is a question that, you know, it comes to me in a, in a real life way, not in a, an abstract way, you know. Yeah. Uh, like, oh, the people of Calvary Church. Well, that's okay. That's right. That's true. Uh, I must admit, I don't always long to see them uh, with an intense longing to make every effort. <laughs> uh, or the people of, uh, you know, uh, a small group I'm in or a ministry I'm in, but in a, in a, you know, in what sense do I see them? Yeah. You know, in, you know what I'm saying? There's a right answer, which, okay, I know what the right answer might be. I could say, oh, my family, I could say my friends, I could say, you are my glory and joy, Chad, and I am part of yours. And all of that's true, but in it, it, Am I, do I, do I think that? Right. 
Yeah, that's a good question because we're not um, on the same apostolic status as Paul. I, I mean, I don't personally think anyone is. Um, mm -mm. And but if you're not, nobody is. <laughs> there is this sense of. Okay, but who is then? Who is our glory? Who is my glory and joy? And who is, let's just say, the average um, churchgoer? Who is their glory and their joy? Um, and I would just maybe try to fra frame it like this Whoever they love and labor towards seeing their best redeemed self come forth, mm -hmm. I would say that's probably your, and it can be family and it can be small group, it can be co workers. Whoever they have this sense of, oh, I pray for them. I, I want to encourage them. I might have to challenge them occasionally, but I'm laboring for their spiritual growth, so to speak. I'm not trying to make it happen, and I'm not trying to control, but I I want the best from them and for them. Uh, could be they're my glory and my joy. Hmm. I th yeah, I think that that's a both... Um, I guess more transcendent and more uh, grounded uh, true answer than we typically, you know, we want to think it, it's, it's very personal and very close, but indeed do what do I, I willly will glory and joy. Like, you know, what part of the answer maybe to that question for me might be, you know, the people that I sit in this room with for the past, you know, few years, hopefully, you know, we're, we're, we're get, you know, Jacob's one of them. Uh, Mike's turned off right now. He's probably weeping in joy. Uh, I'll just assume he is. Um, but we are laboring together. You know, we are uh, trying to help one another, trying to challenge one another. Uh, and grow. And so that sounds in a sense, both uh, ordinary and majestic and beautiful. And that's kind of how it probably should be, right? It should be your own family, not because you, you know, lead uh, a time of devotion or something it might be that, but it's really more every day. You know, you're laboring for them. You're laboring for their growth, for their maturation, uh, for their own joy, for their own purpose. So they have their own identity. Uh, and that should be an kind of an ordinary, it's like a majestic thing, but it should be something we're sort of doing. I mean, it should be something we're doing. <laughs> That's yeah. what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, to me, I think um, Peter... Uh, not to take us out of Thessalonians, but Peter uh, seconds that with his idea of the priesthood uh, of believers, right? Of, of the function of the collective priests was to mediate the knowledge of God uh, to each other and to the watching world. And so the priestly function of all believers whether you're a new believer or you've been a Christian 30 years, whether you're Presbyterian or evangelical free or whatever, the priesthood transcends all that, but you're laboring to serve other people by bringing in the knowledge of God to them. And so I, I do think that's uh, a helpful way to think about it and look at it is 
you know, I'm a, I'm a priest in that sense, and I'm bringing out, um, I'm praying, I'm trying to, trying to grow in my own way spiritually. So I'm trying to reflect Christ to others. I'm trying to identify Christ in others and see him there and cooperate with how he's working whatever that might be. And, and I like the way you put it. It's ordinary. It's really ordinary. Um, and it doesn't, for me anyways, the longer I've been a Christian, the longer I live, it doesn't feel super spiritual. I don't, I don't walk away with that glory of, you know, Shekinah came down and ah, that was the moment where, mm-hmm. you know, we connected and I really, I saw God, you know, he did a work in them, and that was, they're my glory and my joy. A lot of it's just ordinary, mundane conversations, encouragement. Sometimes it's just small talk. I don't know if you've seen um, Eugene Peterson's book, The Contemplative Pastor. Mm-hmm. I think I have. Yeah, he spends a whole chapter on the importance of small talk. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like, this is how people get to know each other, and that's important. And it's important to shoot the breeze with people. And mm-hmm. it was a good reminder for me, because I can tend to be intense and serious and let's let's focus on right really going on right 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 well there's a lot there uh to ponder uh to think about um because i think uh contra to uh you know our description of things of us uh that we started with this is very others focused it's sort of a The, the assumption, the, uh, you know, the presupposition uh, that Paul is <clears throat> a good part of his identity, purpose, and hope and joy and crown and glory is in other people, that he's other focused. He's concerned for them. He's so concerned, he's trying to find out how they're doing uh, because we find out uh, later there's persecution going on and, you know, there's hard times and he's... Uh, his, his joy, his hope, his glory is somehow bound up in uh, a, a lot of other people that he, he, it's not like he grew up with these people or their family. There's people that he, you know, poured his life into for a time uh, and is concerned with them. And it's just very others focus. And I think uh, I'm not sure, I mean, I don't think our culture encourages that or points us in that direction that we might be cause focused. And so kind of we're in an abstract way for the people on our side of the cause. But that seems different from what's going on here where Paul's actually these people, these actual people that I can name, I'm really concerned about them. And um, because they, they're there, my, my hope and my joy, my glory is bound up in their welfare. Um, what do you think of that? Yeah, it's interesting. I, um, I'm trying to, to parse out what I've experienced in the, just in the past few days with everything going on and being, uh, we were actually in downtown Asheville, North Carolina, where we drove right through white, right around, uh, protesters. And I'm just trying to parse out uh, all of the happenings and, I think, and, and, and at the same time, being on a, you know, move with my family 
being primarily around them uh, only, every, uh, you know, 24-7, it's easy, and I'm going to connect the dots here in a second, It's I think it's easy for us to focus on the behavior of the other if we think that they need to change, and if they're the ones that need to change, then everything would get better, um, and, I, and I'm not saying that, you know, we don't need justice and all of that. But as a parent, I even think of, okay, if my kids are responding a certain way, one of the most basic fundamental principles of life is not to just tell them what they have to do, but I have to show, I have to be that person. I have to show them. Uh, I can't say you need to be patient and then I model complete impatience. They're, they're simply mimicking what they've seen. And so I think, um, go back to uh, when, you know, wearing masks, not wearing masks, protesting, not protesting. I think often, whenever we can, we want to say those types of people or that cause or this cause, if, if we could just get the other side to change, like that's what salvation is. And I don't, I just don't find that in Paul's writings. He is aimed at others focused, but not with the sense of if you guys, you guys changed, that would be what salvation is. Um, it's a, it's a service to them. It's a loving of them. It's a cooperation of a redeemed movement in them. And it's not, I guess it's not violence. It's not go cutting across the nature of who they are as image bearers. It's not coercion or but yeah. one of our professors in covenant used to say, you know, God works with the way the grain of wood goes. Right. So people have a bent and a personality and um, it's Jesus never really cuts across that he restores and redeems. It's broken and fallen, but um, yeah, it's not a, it's not a violence against that. So I don't know if that was clear and I tried not to dip into waters that, um, muddy it but uh, mm-hmm. well I think because um, you asked about others focused and I just I, I guess basically it's easy to, to say they need to change left left does it right does it salvation is they need to change and that's what I'm trying to do mm-hmm. I'm right. trying to make them change I'm trying, trying to help them, yeah, yeah help the world by right. yeah so whatever we think of that this is not that um because Paul actually has actual, and the thing about having actual image bearers in mind is that they are glorious ruins. They're, I mean, they're not, you can't uh, read this and go, boy, those believers in Thessal- Thessalonica must have been perfect mm-hmm. uh, for Paul to feel this way about them. And obviously they weren't. They were, you know, Paul had only been there. I mean, they were, they were new to the faith. They uh, there's, you know, there's no indication that they were, you know, the best, you know, the best people. Uh, and that's why Paul liked him so much. Uh, even though they were glorious ruins that they're marred image makers, they are still his hope, his joy, his crown. So there's a potential for greater disappointment, greater vulnerability to have actual people be your hope, joy, and crown when they're not perfect and they're not, you know, declared righteous by being on my side or being on the right side or, or whatever, or being in my tribe. 
in actual in actuality, it is painful to have other people actually be our hope and joy and crown in the presence of the Lord because other people disappoint us, mm-hmm. uh, and there's no way around that. Uh, and you know that's what makes you know sacrifice is part of love because it's going to cost you something. Um, and I think that's the um, others focused in a way that might cost me something. Others focused in a way that's vulnerable. Uh, others focus in the way in which my own joy might be affected by how someone else is doing. Um, someone that's not like I'm married to or that are my children. I mean, those people count too, of course, but um, I think that's really counterculture. That's really a, a bit beyond where we are uh, just as, as people in the church. Uh, and I do think as it relates to the uh the protests the i mean the the racial injustice the power police power injustice mm-hmm. uh the protests and the violence of the riots uh all in some way show you know to more or less degrees part of the glorious ruin that mm-hmm. um the reason it's so tragic, the reason, you know, one of the reasons, there's many reasons why uh, George George Floyd's death is tragic. But one of the reasons that makes it tragic is because an image bearer committed the crime. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. if, you know, if a tiger attacked him and, you know, that would be tragic too, but not in the same way. Right. That's it's more heinous because a fellow image bearer, someone with whom I share humanity, has done this thing, uh, and and that that is the world. And I mean, the, these glorious ruins can be much more disappointing than just in the abstract. They can do bad things because a tiger can do bad things, but it's not the same thing. Um, and that's the sort of thing where I think people rightly respond at a deep level to to racism and injustice and abuse of power because they are committed by fellow image bearers and not you know and if an alien race came and did that it would be bad but it wouldn't be the same uh and i think that's we we want to disidentify and the fact is we are identified uh with them and we also do evil things uh, we we ourselves also do evil things. Uh, and so we need redemption and so we need grace. Uh, and so we need love. Yeah. And so, we, and so we need people to pour their lives into us so that we can be someone else's hope and joy and crown. Yeah. And I think, I think that is, you know, reminds me of, um, how fast and far, um, sin spread, uh, East of Eden when humanity was exiled from the garden because the, next chapter you see fratricide a uh, brother killing a brother and that's the grief that's the immediate grief is oh this is what sin can do and right that's the ruined the the very ruined part of humanity and then you add that 
the complex nature of a hierarchy and a government and a power system and people who have authority over others who, uh, by biblical standards, are called to serve and to protect the weak and the vulnerable and um, to help ensure justice, as Romans 13, I believe, um, says. Um, and so it's it, it does make it more of an exponential um, mm-hmm. weight. Uh, because of that mm-hmm. um, and so yeah there is deep layers of grief and anger because of the injustice um, and there always should be and there always will be because we function in the world east of Eden and, and yet just conceptually I want to caution against um, throwing out systems and throwing out government and throwing out um, people in yeah. power because um abuse there's a saying that always helps me my train of thought uh, when i'm tempted to do that abuse does not preclude proper use yes there has been an abuse of the system that need we need to raise awareness of but that doesn't mean that the uh, proper use of the system um, Mm -hmm. is bad right right i do think and along with that we it don't kind of goes back to what we said at the beginning that if we can throw the bad system out the bad will be gone Mm -hmm. uh and there is no east. I mean, it, until all is redeemed, all systems will be will have some bad in them because yeah, we're so in them. Because glorious ruin, glorious image makers are in them and comprise them. So the church has evil doing in it. Um, and but we shouldn't necessarily throw. I mean, we should just throw the church out. Uh, we have to try to reform it and and redeem it and. Any sort of structure, whether it's a family, I mean, every individual family has glory and ruin in it um, and inflicts pain and it's a place of love. So I think that's partly, I'm agreeing with you in that our hope is that it's the easy solution is we just rid ourselves of the unjust system. Uh, And yet we can't, I mean, theologically, we can't rid ourselves of the unjust system uh we're going to have a system where somebody's gonna um you know if we're gonna abolish the police somebody's actually gonna have to enforce the abolishment and so that's what a new police force i guess that's coming in so there's no easy solution by which we just get rid of the bad people and the bad system and then all the good people will be left well you you've seen you've seen this play out in uh novels stories movies where there's clearly injustice and there's clearly the ruined part of the system and everything is focused on let's overthrow this. Okay. So people do overthrow it. And then often what happens is something more tyrannical takes its place. Like the person who overthrew it and said, I'm going to lead the way. Right. Right. And they have to step into power. And so I think, you know, I was listening to this podcast the other day. I think we have to help ourselves get past the rebel mentality because the rebel says the rebel's always against something and they get their energy from being against something. And we, we got to change this. we got to overthrow it. And I'm not saying don't, I'm not saying anything about, you know, mm-hmm. protest in this case is good. good. That's yeah. all good. Right. Absolutely. And things do have to change. Um, it's just been, it's too much. It's just been too long that things haven't changed there. So things have to change. Um, but in a personal stance, once you take the thing away that I'm rebelling against or that I'm trying to say, this is wrong, I have to fix it. 
I lose all sense of um, gravitas, of energy, of focus. So how can I already do that now? Like redemption mm-hmm. between there's a there's a difference between me being a rebel against something and me trying to see redemption and restore something. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. it's just right. a complete uh, internal stance difference. And another layer, I think, is including myself in that which needs to be redeemed. Uh, if it's not the, the, I think the danger in talking about only systems, and I think we have to talk about systems, is that if I, the implication is I'm not part of the system. So I'm talking about something I'm not part of. Uh, when I believe all of us have all the isms, in a sense, like you know, all of us have some love, uh, some measure of sinfulness in all the areas. I'm kind of a total depravity guy. Uh, so I can act uh, in unjust ways. Uh, I can act and think. Uh, in, in ways that are racist. Uh, I can abuse my power. Uh, and that's now something I'm personally, you know, responsible for. So that's something I have to deal with in my own heart on an everyday basis. Um, and that's, I can try to, I should, we live in a democracy, so I should try to change the system politically as is fit. Uh, but that does not replace me being a, a glorious ruin and the ruin part still needs redemption and I'm not exempt. So, you know, uh, I need to be, I need to be marching down the streets of my own heart, uh, you know, waving the signs about how I need to be changing as well. Oh, that's uh, good. And yeah. I think I, so I don't, I'm not, I'm not saying that against people protesting. Right, right, right. You know, that's also fine. I think that's not saying, right. I think that's right. But I don't think that precludes like what what part do I have to play? Because uh, I kind of want to, and maybe just kind of cl- end on this thought. Like, so who is my hope and my joy and my crown, and for whom am I part of their hope and joy and crown? Yeah. And how do I look at that? Uh, you know, is there some obligation in that someone's pouring their life into me, even if it's just as a friend or, you know, whatever, that I'm not just by myself and I just decide what I need to do by myself. And it's just up to me. Uh, you know, no man is an island. So who is my hope and joy and crown and for whom am I their hope and joy and crown? And what uh, kind of obligation does that? I, I don't know. That just thought occurs to me. I don't know what. I, no, I think that's true. Paul seems to us. Paul doesn't say it a lot because it's an assumed uh, it's an assumed relational concept within the the Bible is that we only flourish in and find our identity in and find our calling in, in community. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't have to say it a lot because they just assumed it. And this is a given thing that it's a mutual encouragement. It's reciprocal give and take. Like I find Christ in you and you find Christ in me. And so I think that's true. Uh, we can't be who we were redeemed to be and, and that fully realized uh, outside of a context of a glorious ruined community mm-hmm. where there is sin and there is pain. That's why the gospel is so practical. It calls for forgiveness and uh, restoration and confession. Mm-hmm. You know, all these things that, that, we think they're nice devotional thoughts. They're actually staples of a redeemed community that you're going to need to function in because people yeah. are going to hurt you. I'm going to hurt you. 
you're going to hurt me. And, and we're going to need those tools to say, well, this is how we are the redeemed community going forward. We need those things. Mm. Mm. You know, I was thinking mm. practically, I was like, I was thinking as you were reading that passage, like, how did Paul do that? You know, how did he, how did he really view them and have the affection toward them? And uh, one thought came to my mind is I need to see people's position in Christ, you know, to, to notice the glory. They're really like you and I and Jacob and other people we know who profess to be Christians, you're in Christ and there's glory there, period. You know, there's a redeeming glory there. Can I see their position in Christ? And then I need to see people's potential in Christ. Um, they're going somewhere. You're on a redeemed love journey and you're not where you are you're not where you were but you're not where you're you're gonna be or you're mm -hmm. gonna be can i can i recognize that potential and and mm -hmm. towards that end yeah and i think i would add to that um solidarity in some sense that you know against the the us and the them of the, that dynamic um even you know if you think about the the coronavirus and you know it's easy to okay the 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 virus came from those people over there in china uh and uh and instead of um yeah i read this this letter from this pastor this christian pastor in wuhan and just yeah and, you know what it was like to be there in january and uh instead of instead of a them that they're, Oh, there's an us. Mm -hmm. I can identify with, I mean, obviously this pastor had nothing to do with the start of the virus. He was a victim of it, but it's easy for us to sort of otherize and demonize and say, you know, if they would have had their stuff together, the virus never would have gotten out or whatever. I don't know who they are. Uh, but that doesn't preclude me from having compassion for people in China who suffered and died, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but it's easy to do. Right. Uh, and just because they're, they're out there other, they're out there somewhere. So whoever that other is for us, whether that's the other side of the political divide or whether it's rioters or whether it's police or whether it's whomever it is, um, there is a deep solidarity in which some of those people are our hope and our joy and our crown and we'll spend eternity with them. They are fellow image bearers in any case. Uh, and w it isn't us and it's not a, not a them thing. And, you know, to really love other people um, means kind of having to see them as um, one of us, you know, one of God's children, an image bearer, someone uh, God loves and someone I have an obligation to love. And I think, you know, for me, that's one of the takeaways of um, in these divisive times, can I remind myself of my solidarity with fellow, fellow image bearers? Yeah. Uh, and so to love them and to be loved by them, because uh, I think that's not often what we do. So I think I might leave it there. Does that that's sound right. right? I like it. All right. Um, well, we'll, we'll do this again, uh, next, next week and you'll be in a different place and, uh, all will be good again in the world. Uh, yeah, you'll be, you'll, you'll be good. so until then, 
uh, uh, as one fellow image bearer to another. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. Thanks for listening to Rogue Table Talks, a Calvary Church Media Productions podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.